You are listening to Sky Women, episode 46, Petal for Pink, from breast cancer diagnosis to recovery with Dr. Fashali Kent. Dr. Fashali is a breast oncology surgeon here in Fort Worth, Texas. She provides high quality and compassionate care using a multidisciplinary approach. She specializes in the most innovative and advanced surgical techniques for the treatment of benign, high-risk, and malignant breast disease. She is a wife, a mom to two boys, and a six-month-old puppy. Come join us in this episode. Welcome to Sky Women. I'm your host, Dr. Carolyn Moyers, a wife, mom, and board-certified OB-GYN. This is a place to educate, empower, and inspire. Join us each week as we share the power of women's stories. Real women, real stories, real inspiration. Put on your stretchy pants. Let's get going. Welcome back to Sky Women. I am so glad that you joined us today. We have a special guest with us, Dr. Vishali Kent here in Fort Worth, Texas. Welcome, Dr. Kent. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's a, it's a delight, such an honor. And with breast cancer awareness coming up, I know that this becomes the forefront of all women's minds. They're like, oh yeah, I need to get in and get my mammogram. So let's just break this down and kind of talk about it in a way that makes sense to most women. Okay, great. Great. So when we're talking about screening mammogram, we're talking about annual mammography, which you should be able to go in and schedule yourself. You should do it once a year. And a woman with average risk of developing breast cancer, they should start their mammograms at the age of 40, and they should not need any supplemental imaging if you don't have dense breast tissue. Some women have dense breast tissue, which means they have more glandular tissue than fatty tissue. And sometimes they may need additional ultrasound every once in a while. But for the most part, all that you would need is an annual mammogram. Now, women that have higher than average risk, so that's risk of developing breast cancer is greater than 20%, and that can be assessed by doing a risk assessment with your primary care, your gynecologist. Depending on what it is, if you have a genetic mutation, then you may need to start annual MRI at the age of 25, and then mammograms start at the age of 30. If your lifetime risk of developing breast cancer is greater than 20%, or you have a really strong family history of developing breast cancer, then you may need to incorporate annual MRI with your annual mammogram with a six-month stagger. So your lifetime risk of developing breast cancer is about 12%, and one in eight women will develop breast cancer. Less than 5% of cancers are diagnosed in women younger than the age of 50, and 60% of breast cancers are diagnosed in women older than the age of 60. And it's usually not hereditary, correct? Majority new diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Correct. Absolutely. Majority of women actually don't have a family history of breast cancer. I believe it's about 75% of women diagnosed with breast cancer have no special identifiable risk factors. Mm -hmm. So if you only screen people with risk factors, you're going to miss a lot of people who have breast cancer. So talk us through like, what are those specific risk factors for cancer, for breast cancer? So the American Society of Breast Surgeons recommend that women older than the age of 25 undergo some sort of formal risk assessment for breast cancer. So that could be just taking a history. Do you have a family history of breast cancer? Have you needed a breast biopsy in the past? And if you have any of those triggers of having a family history or needing biopsies, there are different risk calculators that can determine whether or not you're at higher risk, meaning greater than 25%. -hmm. So that's usually what we talk about when we talk about risk assessment. And if you do have a lifetime risk greater than 20% or you have a strong family history, you may even be considered for genetic testing, which will give us even more information about your risk. 
But in general, when we talk about risk factors for breast cancer, I usually categorize them in two different categories. One is controllable risk factors, and the other is uncontrollable risk factors. I like that. So <laughs> uncontrollable risk factors are things that you can't control. So you can't control being a woman. You can't control your age or your family history or your genetic predisposition. You can't control the fact that you have dense breast tissue or if you've had radiation exposure, you just can't control those things. You also can't control really how much estrogen exposure you've had, your menstrual cycle, your pregnancies, breastfeeding, some of those things you just can't control. But there are things that you can control, obesity, diet, alcohol intake, and smoking. A lot of these things are a lifestyle issues that contribute to increased risk of breast cancer. Right. Absolutely. Lifestyle is so important in all aspects, correct? <laughs> right. Actually, 20% of all cancers diagnosed in the U.S. are related to being overweight and active alcohol or poor nutrition overall. Mm, wow. It really starts with preventative medicine. Mm. Absolutely. So much. Okay. So you, you touched on imaging dense breast. And so very often women have dense breasts and it freaks them out. They're worried. Right. They're Dr. Moyers, do I need to do something else? And I'm like, well, it's the same on both sides. This is upper outer quadrant. It's very common. You know, you don't have any other risk factors, you know, unless we feel a specific lump or lesion, typically we're not doing additional imaging. That is correct. Unless the radiologist specifically states that they feel an ultrasound or additional imaging would be beneficial. If you're of average risk, we don't do anything more than just annual screening mammogram. And this 3D is the preferred modality, the, the TOMO mammogram that they're doing now. And I think pretty much universally, that's what they're doing. So that right. is the preferred method of mammography. So let's say that a mammogram comes back and is suspicious, and a woman needs a biopsy. Kind of okay. walk us through that process. Sure. So it will start with, you know, if you get your regular screening mammograms, you're going to start with the screening. If you feel a mass, though, and you go in, they're going to bump you right up to diagnostic. So the screening mammograms and diagnostic mammograms are essentially the same, except that the patient stays after a diagnostic mammogram for the report. The radiologist will look at it right away. And if they feel they need further imaging, they're gonna do it. And if they have a BIRADS four or five, they will need a biopsy. So a BIRADS category is basically the radiologist's way of explaining to us how suspicious something is of cancer. Mm -hmm. So category four and five require biopsy. Three is a six month follow-up and one or two are normal. A BIRADS zero means you're gonna need further imaging. So if you have a four or five, you're gonna need a biopsy. And this is going to be a core needle biopsy that is usually performed by a radiologist. So it's image guiding. So if they found your mass on ultrasound, they're going to use an ultrasound machine. If they found it as calcifications, then they're going to use a stereotactic machine, both just different technologies. The radiologist will then find that abnormality again. They will use a local anesthetic. So it's not a general. They'll numb up your skin and they'll take a few passes of the tissue. And then they'll hold some pressure, put a little dressing on there, and then send it off to the lab. And the results are available three to five days, just kind of depending on the processing time at the lab. 
when the results are available, then it kind of depends. Institutions are a little bit different as how they handle the information. Sometimes the radiologist already has a preference list of their referring providers, and they will automatically refer the patient to a breast surgeon if surgery is indicated. Sometimes patients have to follow up with their primary care doctor or gynecologist, whoever referred the imaging, to get the referral to a surgeon if surgery is indicated. Sometimes surgery is not indicated. And then they'll go back to regular follow-up imaging. So there are a few different terms that get thrown around and they get a little bit confusing. So I'll start by defining that. So an excisional breast biopsy is removal of tissue of the whole area of the abnormality, but they're not really considering margins. They're just removing the imaging abnormality versus an incisional biopsy is taking a piece of abnormal tissue. So that's when the radiologist does a needle biopsy. They're not taking out the whole area of abnormality. They're just taking part of that abnormality. Then when we talk about lumpectomy, lumpectomy is a general term for any sort of breast surgery that doesn't involve removing the whole breast. So that could be a segmental mastectomy, an excisional biopsy, it's just a common term used for removal of breast tissue. Lumpectomy in the form of cancer treatment, lumpectomy or segmental mastectomy or partial mastectomy, those are all interchangeable terms that basically means we're not removing the whole breast, we're just removing the cancer with a margin. And then a mastectomy is removal of all of the breast tissue. So the decision-making the most basic way we make this decision is size of the cancer compared to the size of the breast. Because the whole idea for a lumpectomy or segmental mastectomy, the other term we use is breast conservation. We're trying to preserve the apparent size and shape of the breast. So if the surgeon does an assessment of the patient, a physical exam and review of the imaging and feels that they can remove the cancer with clear margins and preserve the overall aspect of the breast, then they're a candidate for lumpectomy. So that's in general. Now, there's some nuances in when, you know, patient may not be a good candidate just because of the location of the cancer, or maybe they have a strong family history and they preferred mastectomy or, you know, some other, other nuances there. But in general, that is what we are looking at when we're determine, determining whether or not a patient is a candidate for a lumpectomy or not. The other important factor is if they have a history of radiation or can have radiation. So if a person cannot have radiation to the breast, then they may not be a candidate for lumpectomy, just depending on their age and the cancer biology. For the most part, if you're going to have a lumpectomy, you're going to have radiation. So if you have a history of radiation, or if you have a pacemaker, a defibrillator on that side, then you won't be able to have breast radiation. And so the, all those things need to be taken under consideration when recommending a lumpectomy or a segmental mastectomy to a patient. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So there's a lot of different things that go into making those decisions. It's not one size fits all. This has got to be customized Correct. for each patient. Perfect. Correct. Okay. So tell me about your multidisciplinary approach. All right. So multidisciplinary is basically how we describe the best way to take care of breast cancer patients. And we're using multiple disciplines we don't make decisions in a vacuum. It is very rare that I'm making a decision without consulting my colleagues, my medical oncology colleagues, my plastic surgery colleagues, radiation oncology colleagues, because a lot of time they need to give their input before I decide what I'm going to do. For example, if a patient has a more aggressive cancer and they may need chemotherapy before surgery in order to shrink that down so they can have a lumpectomy. Or if they want a mastectomy and need reconstruction, 
whether or not they're going to need radiation is going to affect how we're able to do the reconstruction. So sometimes I need to know whether or not the patient's going to need chemotherapy and the timing of it, whether or not they're going to need radiation, and what kind of reconstruction they're going to have, and the timing of all of these things. And I can't make these decisions on my own without having a discussion with all of my colleagues. And the easiest way to do that is by presenting patients at tumor conference. So Mm -hmm. most of the hospitals in the Fort Worth area have weekly tumor conference where we all meet and discuss more complex cases in a big group. If I can't get a patient discussed at tumor conference because of time constraints, I just pick up the phone and call my colleagues. I think I have just about everybody in town on speed dial. Yeah, And I love picking up the phone and just giving them a call so I can get an answer pretty quick quick to how we're going to manage the patient. Maybe she's going for reconstruction. Maybe she's decided not to. What are your best tips for recovery from breast surgery? So I think the biggest problem that I've noticed with my patients is that they they just need to take the time to recover. A lot of my patients have a lot going on in their lives. They're busy moms or they have careers and they feel fine because breast surgery is not as painful as you think of Let's say you're talking about like abdominal surgery. Mm-hmm. Core, surgery to your core can sometimes be a little bit more uncomfortable than breast surgery because breast surgery is external to your body cavity. Mm-hmm. You're not dealing with your GI system. So you're not feeling as nauseous. So people feel pretty good and they mm-hmm. want to get back to their regular life because they have their whole life and a lot of people depend on them. And I think the biggest number one tip for patients having any sort of breast surgery, whether it be a lumpectomy, mastectomy, reconstruction, no reconstruction, is take your time to recover. Relax. We want you to walk around, obviously, because we don't want you to get a blood clot. But if you're not supposed to do heavy lifting, don't do the heavy lifting. There are many people that can help you. There are a lot of resources in town if you don't have good support system. But taking the time to recover the way that your physician asks you to is incredibly important to not have a setback. Because if you don't take the time to recover, you might have a complication further delaying your ability to get back to your regular life. So I'd say that is the most important thing. Outside of that, if you have reconstruction, following your plastic surgeon's rules religiously, that's always a good tip in my opinion. For people who have lumpectomies, I love when they use ice packs because ice packs really help a lot with pain and swelling and it decreases the need for a narcotic which can just make you constipated and nobody needs that. Nobody needs that. Nobody needs that. And having garments that open in the front are also very helpful. Hey, perfect. Well, tell me what makes your practice unique and what do you have going on? I know you have a special event that you plan. Right. So there are a lot of different ways to practice medicine. And I just had a lot of really good teachers and mentors throughout my training. I really learned a lot of great communication through my residency program. We learned a lot about how to talk to patients. So hopefully I'm doing a good job of communicating with my patients. I have a small office with not a lot of staff. So I do a lot of direct communication with my patients. I don't have a nurse and right now we don't have an MA. And I like to call patients and give them results and talk to them because I feel like they're getting the answer from the source. We also do make a point of making sure we get new diagnoses of cancer in in a very timely manner. So we kind of have this general rule of if we get a referral for cancer diagnosis within about two to three days of the referral, we will get the patient in the office. And we've, we've organized the schedule in such a way that we can get these patients in quickly because there is nothing more anxiety provoking of having a diagnosis with cancer without having a plan. 
Oh, absolutely. And especially, you know, on a Friday. And so Friday is like new cancer day where we have lots of slots for new cancers because we want patients to have a plan going into the weekend. And so that way they can at least feel like they have control over a situation where there's not a lot of control. And so I don't know if that makes my practice unique, but that's what we do. I also have amazing staff. They have, we have all worked together for a long time. My staff member that works at the front desk, she and I have worked together for about six years. And my office manager, she and I have worked together, I think seven or eight years. And so we all have a system. They're not clinical, but they know so much about breast cancer just from being in the environment. Right. Um, and they're great with patients. They know the patients well. They, I could not do what I do without them. So I feel like we are a team. It's a team effort. You know, like I said, nobody Absolutely. operates or functions in a vacuum. Yeah. And my support staff really makes me who I am. I love working with them. So they also are a unique part of my office because I think they're very unique and we love all working together. I mean, that is just key to any office, isn't it? Like, <laughs> yes. you cannot oh, do yes. it on I your own. So <laughs> yeah. I feel so blessed to be able to work with them because they're, they're just so great to work with. And they really, they, they really do know my patients well, and they love talking to them. And it's, it's just such a great environment. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine a better setup. Yeah. That's amazing. Awesome. And I do have, you mentioned my event. I do have yeah. an event that I do. So I, I am a big believer in fitness and I'm, I'm not a great runner. I'm not very strong. I'm not very physically fit in the sense that there's no way I would ever run a marathon. But I do like to get out there and do physical activity. I grew up being a competitive figure skater. I don't know that I was very good at it, but that's what I did all through my childhood and even through college. So fitness to me was really important. It was important to me to be able to get away and get on the ice and and skate and do my own thing for mental clarity and also for my physical health. Sure. And so when I was thinking, what are things that I can do for physical fitness? One of the things I started doing was taking spin classes. You know, I'm getting older. My joints aren't as good running. Right. Kind of a, <laughs> Not know, as good on the body. Yeah. <laughs> but spin class, I felt like I was getting a lot of cardiac exercise without a lot of trauma to my joints. Mm -hmm. And so I liked it so much that I thought it would be great to do an event around breast cancer that, that involves physical fitness. And this was the physical fitness thing that I knew. Mm -hmm. So I started an event called Pedal for Pink. And we started in 2018. And we do it at a local spin center. And you basically, you sign up and, you know, part of the sign up goes towards an organ, a local organization. And so we did it in, we did it for two years in a row and it was great. And then of course we had to sort of slow it down because of our pandemic. And so mm -hmm. we weren't able to do it last year. And this year we're doing a virtual version uh -huh. of it where basically you sign up for the event by emailing pedalforpinkfw at gmail.com. And then for every person that sign ups, $10 will be donated to Cancer Care Services, which is a great organization here in Tarrant County that provides financial support and counseling support for any kind of cancer patient in Tarrant County. Amazing. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, I love supporting those local resources. How fun. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to do it's Pedal a, for Pink. Okay. When is it? So, oh, that was the thing. So it's virtual. So it's a little bit different. Previously, we would have a day and we'd all gather at the spin center and the class was taught by a breast cancer survivor who was treated here in Fort Worth. But because 
of our numbers now with the COVID pandemic, we've decided to go virtual. Okay. So when you email that email address that I gave you, you will get a link in the beginning of October to sign up for a virtual platform where you have access to a streaming service for the entire month of October. And so you will have this streaming service that's provided by the Spin Center. And there will be a special breast cancer ride by the spin instructor, Jennifer Kita, who works at Zen 22. And she will be doing a special breast cancer ride during the month of October, but you do have access to the whole service. It is $10 to sign up. And then it's not like an automatic renewal or anything like that. It's, it's just for the month. And when you sign up, $10 goes to cancer care services. Perfect. That's easy. <laughs> yeah. Easy to do. It's good for your body. And you, since it's virtual, you can take it on your phone. You can take it anywhere. You can put it on your regular bike and try a class on your regular bike. You can, if you don't have your own stationary bike, you can go to yeah. a friend's house. You can go to the gym. You can do it anywhere. So it's kind of a neat way to do it where you're not constrained by a time or an evening or something like that. So it's yeah. Pedal for Pink all month long. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, friends, go sign up for Pedal for Pink. And you can find Dr. Kent. Vishali Kent, MD. Okay. And I will put this in the show notes as well. Okay. Fantastic. Well, thank you for all that you do in the community. Thank you for having me. Yes. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. All right, Sky community. Thank you for listening to another episode. This episode was sponsored by Sky Women's Health. As a reminder, we're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and we help relieve back pain and pelvic pain in pregnancy and beyond. If you are pregnant and having pain and you feel like you have no reliable way to relieve it, look us up at skywomenshealth.com, request an appointment, and we'll call to get you scheduled. As a board-certified OB-GYN with a Neuromusculoskeletal Medicine Fellowship, I help you realign with hands-on drug-free treatment and relieve pain on the spot without medication. We'll help you maintain these results through your pregnancy and postpartum period. Every pregnant person deserves this, and we are so excited to serve you. You can find us on our website, as mentioned, or on social at Sky Women's Health, or you can call the office at 817-915-9803. That's it for today. Until next week, be well.